The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Good to see you back to the second part of my conversation with Hapclop, the face behind the North Face brand. We talk about mentorship, leadership, entrepreneurship, and a lot of stuff about the future and what the future may hold. So thanks for joining us. People sense if you're being uh, dishonest. They have a pretty good bullshit detector. And, uh, you know, if, if you try and fake it, it's there. And I'm thinking in particular, not necessarily the customers, as much as the people working with you. And if you, if you are afraid of doing something because of the risk, they're going to know that it's going to get translated to them. Welcome to the Mentor TV podcast and stay curious with Patricia Falco-Becali. What you mentioned earlier as well, you know, we need to get a team together that kind of understands the DNA of the brand. And that, that really takes me to the question, yes, you sold uh, the North Face, I think, in, back in 2000 to VF Corporation. Uh, they're listed on the NASDAQ, I think. Now, when, when you were really assembling what was, you know, not only the basis, but quite far into what is now a $13 billion business. How did you really, how did you affront leadership? What was, what was the way that you, what were the lessons you as a young entrepreneur yourself, you learned building your own company, trying to assemble the right team that really shares the vision, feels they have skin in the game? Well, the first thing is that I don't believe people follow people. I think they follow visions. And uh, I think it was Bill Gates when he's asked what his job was at Microsoft. He said it's to have the vision and to articulate it. And, and I predated that by a lot, but that was kind of what I was doing. Uh, in terms of hiring, we didn't hire people for business skills. Now it's a little harder to do that, but we were starting out entrepreneurial. What we were hiring for was a passion, a passion for the outdoors and a passion for changing the world. And... What I knew is I, I had background. I had an MBA from Stanford. I'd run a company uh, before this. While I was in school, I ran a family company. And what I knew was I could teach people business principles. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I couldn't teach them was passion, commitment, and whatever. I, I, I frequently joke with people and say there's one way and one way only to motivate people, and that is hire motivated people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Hire the passion, not the person. Yeah. And, and then just get out of their way. You know, so, so that, was, that was the idea of leadership. The idea was, of course, articulating your quantitative goals, but focusing an awful lot on qualitative goals. And then we used uh, tools a lot of people uh, didn't use. We were, we were very measured in what we did. We, uh, every month we, were, we delegated a lot. People had specific goals that they were measured against and then we would, we would update and see if they did that. Uh, the more they performed, the more uh, responsibility they got. As the company expanded, that was the case. 
it, it's harder when you're a billion dollar company to to not hire for specific skills. But the great thing about being an entrepreneur is that you can do that and you can create this entire thing. And that that's where iconic brands come from. I, I think it's very, very hard to try to create a brand out of a billion dollar company that's all new and whatever. Now, there's a lot of people who are graphics people and, and a lot of people in, in the science of, of branding who will tell you, oh, yes, we can create a great brand for you. I think it's hard to do. I think it, it's easy to do if you start with it that way and just don't vary over time. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it, the logo is the same logo that we had the, the first day that we started a product. I spent $250 hiring somebody to make that. He turned out to be very skilled. Dave Alcorn is his name. He ended up being the head of uh, the graphic design for Merrill Lynch. So it gives you some idea of his capability. But he was just starting, and we didn't have any money. So we did $250 of of design. And then, of course, we registered and do all those other things. But the ideas don't change from that. Only one thing has changed over the ever since 1968 when we started it, and that is in some cases a rectangle is put around that. It's kind of a weird shape that doesn't graphically work all the time, like on the front of a store or what have you. So you will see it sometimes with red uh, rectangle around it. But it's the same basic logo underneath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very memorable, that logo. Coming back, what you were saying about, you know, if you want motivated people, hire motivated people. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had um, Emma Isaacs on the show, um, author, amazing businesswoman. She is, uh, she's the owner of Business Chicks. It's a really, really interesting person. And I asked her about the same thing. How do you keep, you know, especially now in these times <laughs> where events are very difficult uh, to organize, how do you keep people motivated? And she said, you know, entrepreneurship, I'm an entrepreneur and I hire entrepreneurs. You don't need to have your own business in order to have that entrepreneurial approach, can-do approach, positive approach to whatever you are doing. If you believe, as you were saying earlier on, Hub, in the vision, then the traction with, with that entrepreneurial let's say, momentum in that individual person really does take care of a lot of the development of the company. We totally agree. You know, entrepreneurism is not a stage of a business. It's a style. And it has to do with risk-taking and not being afraid of failure. It has to do with, with innovating on a regular basis. It has to do with things like design thinking, where you're doing rapid iterations, discuss, uh, discarding anything that is not working, uh, adapt to the new one to be able to deal with it. Yeah, and you just mentioned failure. You just read my mind, huh? because that was my question to you as a mentor, as a leader, uh, as an entrepreneur. Uh, I don't know whether I find the quote. Yeah, you, you said a couple of things about failure, which I absolutely loved. Often wrong, Never in doubt. I love that one, Hub. And the other one, business is a series of linked uh, reco- uh, recoveries. Sorry. Business is a series of linked recoveries that you later elegantly describe as a plan. <laughs> I love that. Um, very, very true. So how do you deal with failure? How do you see failure? Uh, well, Edison had a great line. Uh, he said, I've never failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that something doesn't work. It's like, uh, if you look at it, the scientific method that's used in science is one that says, basically, we hypothesize something, we test against it, we discard those things that don't work, and we pursue those that do. Somehow, business 
the idea is everything needs to be right. It isn't going to be right. If, if the speed of change in society is accelerating, it's exponential, it is not linear, and you don't have time for perfect information anymore. So what you have to do is actually embrace failure. And that doesn't do things stupidly. And certainly you should read so you don't have to learn on your own OPM, other people's money, learn on that, uh, what they're doing. But what you have to do is not fear failure uh, because that will limit you. And yeah. I put it oftentimes to Silicon Valley. I, I live not far from it. And we've always been immersed in that. I went to Stanford, which is in the heart of Silicon Valley. Berkeley is, is now included in that. But, but the mentality that exists is one where it's okay to fail. Uh, and as a result, and, and think about Steve Jobs, classic. He, he was kicked out of the company. They brought him back later on when he learned how to play well with others. But, but the essence was it was okay to fail, if you will, in, in that word. As a result, so many people here can set really high goals because if you don't worry about failure, you're then you can set those goals. If you're afraid of failure, what you do is make very modest incremental goals. You don't change anything. You yeah. don't revolutionize the world. You don't go out and, and pursue that because it is wrong. And so it is a, a way of thinking. So what you have to do is adapt to it, accept it, uh, recognize, don't be foolish, as I said. Uh, test, just Bezos, I think, is at Amazon said, think big, start small. So what you do is test some idea if, if it fails, the whole ship doesn't go down as a result of it. But once you see what it is, then you pursue that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I love what you said. You have to embrace failure as a process potentially to success because we are constantly evolving. We have to check what we are doing. And, um, you know, it makes me think of one of my bosses back at CNBC. And I remember he swooned in and he kind of like analyzed the business and he came up with these great ideas. And the reason why his first line to us as a team stuck to my mind was it was the first time I saw a boss really embracing potential failure because what, what Jeremy back then said to us was, guys, I have an idea. Look, it can all go wrong. And if it does, that's fine. We'll just change it. But let's try this. And let's just see, does it work? Doesn't it work? And if it doesn't, you know, let's move on. And I was like, oh my God. And I come from, you know, a classical European kind of culture where it is bad to fail. If you have a hole in your CV and you can't really substantiate why six months between one job or the other, or why your business failed, then you know, that is not good. Whereas, you know, if you haven't failed, you haven't tried. That is uh, the other mentality that I very quickly learned then, you know, living and, and working in, in, in the more English American system. And I really, really love that approach to say, hey, failure needs to be embraced. And as long as you learn from it, that's, I think, the key hub, then it is a good thing because you know what to discard. So let me ask you a personal question there. So what is the issue, the failure you learned most from? Oh, you know, I think that's difficult. I think, I think the, the failure, oftentimes small, I mean, start, start in the wilderness. I mean, when you're climbing, uh, you, you can't not or stop because you may fail. What you have to do is protect against it. Uh, that's why climbers have ropes with the exception of Alex Honnold and a few others who are doing unbelievable climbing with no protection whatsoever. Generally, what you do is protect against it. And that's what you do in society. So you, you do that. So, so I've learned to take risk, but 
protect against, uh, you know, the, the most catastrophic thing you can do. One thing is, as I said, think big, start small. So what you're testing is against that. I think the other thing that you learn is that uh, you don't always have all the, the best ideas. I, I didn't have the, the best financial strategy for North Face, so we constantly were growing and we always had to refinance, which meant that I had to turn from being a mentor, an educator, a person who loved the outdoors into an investment banker for my company. And that was wrong. And that, that was why I ultimately sold the company uh, because I, I was financing all the time and I didn't like it. And it was bringing in people, even some people that didn't understand what our goal was and what we were trying to accomplish. And so I was spending all my time marshalling and, and shepherding all of the people that way. And so it wasn't there. So that, was, in essence, was a failure. It was a failure to do that. Uh, in all candor, uh, at the you know billions of dollars they have in sales right now, I wouldn't be the best person to run it because I like change too much. I like innovation. I, and it's hard to do in a large company. I don't like meetings a whole lot. And you have to have a lot of meetings in a large company. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, it's, uh, I have that with my entrepreneurs as well and the companies I'm invested in. It's interesting to see that at some point, the entrepreneur that is also the CEO at the beginning is not necessarily the right one to really take the business from one stage to a global stage, uh, as to say. And a lot of these people are different to you, perhaps, and they don't want to recognize that and they don't want to give their baby up, which might be the smart thing to do for the brand, for the company in the long run. Let me quickly interrupt the conversation to say thank you that you are here with me on the channel. If you do enjoy what I'm putting out, the in-depth kind of conversations, then why don't you subscribe and also hit the bell button so I can keep you informed with our newest releases. Thanks for that in advance and let's get back to the conversation. But you know, your sale, that was one of my questions, said, why did you sail in 2000, the company? And I have to say for a fairly moderate price compared to what the company is worth now. Uh, and I wonder how looking back, would you have done that differently? I'm not saying not selling at all, but still being actively, you know, a part of the business. I, I don't think so because of what I said earlier, the, the way I'd evolved that whole company it was it was ending up being something that i wasn't getting the feedback that i wanted i would rather go skiing or, or what have you. <laughs> yeah yeah and also, values as you said huh? also there there was a, when i talked to you about having these you know sort of three words that you live by there there are other ways to run businesses and i'm well aware of it intellectually i i was aware of it and i liked the idea of applying some of those others. But what I knew was you couldn't apply it to the North Face without destroying the North Face. So when I left that and I do some consulting with small and large companies, I can, can bring these other ideas to the fore that are also interesting to me, but I didn't want to just play around with North Face because my own uh, needs uh, to have more. So I think it, it was the right time uh, to be able to do it, the right time for me, right time for the company. Okay, it's a it's an interesting one, and you know, uh, you're talking about you know I was becoming a finance guy, a managing stuff guy, rather than really being at the forefront of developing the products and really sticking true to my own values. Because there was a crisis to creation moment. I thought, you know, when I read about it, how I thought it was amazing. Tell us the story when you were just out of a financing round. I think totally. Oh my God! Luckily, we've done this. 
took your family skiing and then all hell broke loose, I think, at your manufacturing site with some sort of storm and you had to come back. Can you tell us that anecdote on how you really managed that crisis and really pulled things big time off? Well, what happened was, uh, as you mentioned, I'd, I'd worked all winter long and hadn't gone skiing uh, because I was doing a financing for the company. We completed everything and I headed to Vail with the family and we were going to be uh, skiing. And I got up in the morning, had a call. One of the people said, are you sitting down? Which is usually not one. And I said, yeah, I am. It's, well, we, uh, the roof fell in. And I said, were you talking about figuratively or literally? Said, no, uh, literally it, it uh, fell in. We had a storm. Uh, the rain collected on the, the roof. Uh, it was so heavy that it cracked all of the beams over the factory. And so the, the entire factory was inundated. All of the computers were fried. Uh, so one, we can't get back in because the fire department won't let us get back in. Uh, we don't know where the orders are because the computers aren't working. And, so, and we don't know how we're going to get out there. So my first response was to go skiing that day because I hadn't gone skiing. I couldn't get back anyway. But, but then I went back and the idea was quickly to put a team together to be able to overcome it with the belief we were going to overcome it. We didn't know if the insurance company would pay us or not. We believed they would, but we couldn't wait for them to come up with an answer. We took one team. We went up to the University of California, which was nearby. And we had those people come down and work on the computers to see what they could do. We put another bank of people calling all the customers saying, we, you know, we had a little bit of a problem, uh, but we'll, we'll be back there. Would you send us a copy of the orders, order confirmation we sent you so we can confirm what we're doing? And then at night when nobody was around, we'd send teams of people in to be able to get the product out of the factory while we simultaneously were manufacturing elsewhere and working on orders to bring new materials in. But it was a belief we're going to get there, a belief that we needed a team to be able to accomplish it and uh, to recognize that, that it was just one more challenge. Yeah, it definitely was a challenge. What I thought was amazing is exactly that, that you were having to be, you know, I don't want to say economical with the truth, but just kind of iron over the entire crisis and say, okay, you're going to get your orders. Don't worry about it. Can you just remind us what the order actually was? Because <laughs> perhaps half of the stuff was destroyed in the water or in that storm. I, I love that story. That was interesting. Now, you know, to start concluding our conversation, amazing conversation, you being a mentor and looking back, um, what do you think? Does everybody have really the thing to not only be an entrepreneur, but really then to build an iconic brand like you did? Um, and if not, what do you think are the main things you see in your mentees that are totally off or totally the right thing? Well, I, I think most people have the capability of doing it. It's a size of the enterprise that they might be good with. There's also their life uh, situation. If you're a single mother and you have a couple of kids and you're sending them to school uh, and, so, and you've got to feed them at night, you may not have the time, you might have the intellect, you might have the energy, but you have to devote it somewhere else. So, and I use that as only one example. There's hundreds of examples. But, but so not everybody has a luxury of being able to accomplish that, but they do. I think the, the second thing is then do they have the, uh, the luxury of being in an ecosystem that allows it to grow? Are you surrounding yourself with people that you can hire that will support you, that will provide the things that you don't have? And are you open to those ideas? 
all of the great ideas come in the valley of the dis- between disciplines. And if you are open to bringing in a variety of people with different views, you come up with solutions that never existed there before. So, yes, I think the capability is there. Uh, I would say that not everybody should pursue it because people have different appetite for risk. Entrepreneurship is risk. And so if you don't have that appetite, don't try to be something you aren't. As I said, be the company you are. Be the DNA that you are. Put that forward. Don't change because people sense if you're being uh, dishonest. They have a pretty good bullshit detector. And, uh, you know, if, if you try and fake it, it's there. And I'm thinking in particular, not necessarily the customers, as much as the people working with you. And if you, if you are afraid of doing something because of the risk, they're going to know that it's going to get translated to them. Yeah, authenticity, such a key, key aspect. And what about self-doubt help? I wonder, even the most enthusiastic and capable individual, really with a vision and even with the right team, goes through those moments where everything seems gray, you know, they have their self-doubts, the negative thoughts going around in their head. Um, how, would you, how did you deal with those, those thoughts if you had them? Well, I didn't have so many, but the first thing I would say is, is remember, not all ideas will work out. So one of the things you need to do is say, okay, I've tried it. It doesn't work. And you have to make some pretty rigorous assessment against what you're doing to see if that's the case. I, I never had a doubt that I succeed. I wasn't sure exactly what it was going to be. We had to pivot over time. I mean, we started out with camping goods and we ended up in apparel. We ended up in, in places that I resisted going into because I didn't see how we would be unique. But the team was able to take me to that place. So, uh, so I think uh, self-doubt, you know, you quoted something which I said, often wrong, never in doubt, uh, that, that really was kind of my strategy. You know, yeah, I, I like that. If, if you embrace failure as something positive, then doubt goes like, okay, well, fine, fine. I don't need to doubt myself because if I fail, it's okay. And I know how not to do it going forward. I like that. So what would be the three key things you would really try to mentor on Mentory TV uh, to anybody that would like to go into business, build a business, and even just you know have a successful life in general? Well, I think the, the first one is be true to yourself. Uh, know, know who you are and be, be true to that. And you don't need to vary from it. It's okay. It's good. The, the second thing is to listen to other people. Listen to your market. Use, have, if you're selling a product or a service, have great customer empathy. Don't just ask them what they want. Try to figure out what they want. Because if you do that, then you're going to be a lot more efficient in getting there. And then the third thing that I would say is surround yourself with good people uh, because no one individually is capable of building a huge business on their own. They need some fabulous people around them. And those people will not always agree with you. And those people will not always have the same view. That's good. That's not bad. That's absolutely good. I totally agree. If you're in an echo chamber, so where do you go? You know, that's, that's exactly the point. You need to have those different stakeholders, even coming with different talents and visions and diversity in general to just give it a different spin to whatever you're trying to accomplish. I totally agree with that. So the future outlook, considering the COVID-19 crisis hub, also, you know, the development in the, in the fit tech or fitness industry, how do, how do you see the next few years mapping out? What do you think, what are your visions there? Well, I think we're going to have a lot of change, a lot of pivot, and that's good. Uh, we're, we've been moving in in the wrong way anyway, if you look at society. And we need something to accelerate the change. 
as I tell people, let's never let a great crisis go to waste. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Uh, I mean, from crisis to creation, this is this is my motto. And I think the motto of the North Face is never stop exploring. My exactly. motto is, you know, stay curious. And this is what I think life is all about. You know, if you live your life as if it was the first day of your life and you have open eyes, ears, listening, as you just mentioned, then you have a potential to, to really develop and your own evolution. So I think that is that is tremendously important. Um, for the future. And yes, changing things. Right. I'm going to have to go because I actually got a note saying we have a board meeting. So Absolutely. Absolutely. You're right on time. I love it. More Swiss than the Swiss. Thank you so much for joining me here on Mentory TV Hub. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you also, dear Mentory TV community, for having joined Hub and me for another conversation here, this time about sports, the fit tech industry, leadership, management, mentorship, and whatever. So thanks for being with us. Thank you, Patricia. Take care. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries, sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify. Spotify.